Podcast. This is episode number 82. With me, as always, my two merry co-hosts. First off, we have Jess Dunks. Hey, everybody, this is Jess. Hey, Jess. We also have Brian Prilliman. Ho, 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 Merry Christmas. Do you do that in your uh, spare time, Brian? I, I even patted my belly and had it laugh like a bowl full of jelly. <laughs> do, you, do you rhyme in your spare time as well? Uh, uh, actually, I do it all the time. Oh, okay. <laughs> no more rhymes. I mean it. <laughs> Does anybody want a peanut? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I get it. I get that one. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in a while. All right. What? What? Inconceivable. See what I did there? Yeah. Did you see where Mark Rosewater did that scene? Did he? Yeah, in one of the Walking the Plains. He basically did that entire scene. And he, you know, he's got kind of a... a I don't know that guy's name, but he's the Grand Nagus from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. He's got a Grand Nagus voice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah. That's the same guy that was... Uh, it was the same guy. I know. It was in, yeah. Yeah, the Grand Nagus. Yeah. Hey, okay, so before we get on the, the main show, uh, <laughs> I've been watching, I've been watching, started on Netflix, a BBC show called Sherlock. Yeah. Okay. And the it gets I'm going to spoil Ooh. the end. It's this guy. He's got two pills and his whole his whole thing is he one pill is poison and one pill isn't. And he lets the other person pick and like he somehow like lures Sherlock Holmes in. He's like, I haven't died. I've been killing. You know, I've killed four people with this thing and you're going to try and do it, too, to figure out how. And the whole time I'm just sitting there just screaming in my mind they're both poisoned he's just spent <laughs> his life building up an immunity to iacane powder come on <laughs> sherlock surely you've seen the princess bride was that how it ended up it actually i think they ended up killing him before you found out how he was doing it so maybe in a later episode it like comes back but as far as i'm concerned never get involved in a land war in asia all right we're two minutes in <laughs> And we haven't even said what the episode is about. So this episode is going to be coming out right around Christmas time. And uh, as such, we decided to have a, a lighter episode, a little more fun. Also Fest festive. Also, we don't think much of our listeners. So we're calling this the lump of coal episode. What? What? It's, it's all you deserve, listeners. It's, it's all you deserve. We are going to go over, and somehow people have been asking about this, mechanics that have basically no relevance and will probably never be printed again. Also, also known as the worst mechanics in magic. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's basically, yeah, it's, you know, we felt that magic, or people that listen to this podcast, you guys are kind of rules dorks. Yeah. And and rules dorks no kind of pride intended. Oh, no, it wasn't meant to be offensive. But if it is, eh, you are what you are. But uh, but you guys kind of pride yourself on like, oh, well, I know how these two really obscure things work. So we're going to talk about some of uh, of the the boogeymen of old uh, keyword abilities uh, from from Christmas past. Ooh, ooh, we're the podcast of, of Mechanics Past. Yes. When do we do the podcast on Mechanics Future episode? We could do Future Sight, a Future now Sight podcast. I think it has like 40 mechanics. 48. Though. Yeah, 40, so 48 keyword mechanics. Maybe what if not. We just, what if we just made up a bunch of stuff and said it was future? Okay. I'd be like, oh, well, I'm an L3. I'm privy to all this secret stuff that Wizards is coming up with. So believe me when I come up with the um, eat me mechanic. Devour? Uh, no, you actually have to eat the card. Oh, okay. And then, and then all your other cards get some sort of bonus until uh, you vomit. It's an unset. <laughs> 
All right, well, let's start right off top of the list here. And this one, I don't know. I wanted to talk about it, but at the same time, this is the one I think has the most is the most likely to ever be reprinted if they ever do. And that is World Enchantments. Oh, formerly known as Enchant Worlds. You think? Yeah. I think they'll just they'll just stick this stuff in the realm of plane chase and be done with it. I think World Enchantments will never be. But of everything we're going to talk about, I think it has the highest likelihood because there's nothing particularly wrong with it. Okay. So the the idea behind a world enchantment. Was, oh my. Whoa. Oh, what was that? That's what happens when I let the cats stay in here. It knocked something over. Oh, it was a picture. We're good though. We're we're continuing on. Uh, the idea behind world enchantments was it was kind of like plane chase before plane chase existed, where someone could play a card and it just affects everyone. The uh, only only trick with world enchantments is they have their own kind of version of the legend rule, but it doesn't look at names like the world like uh, like legends do. And it doesn't look at types like planeswalkers do. Uh, Basically, what happens is if you have two world enchantments out at the same time, whichever one is oldest. No, well, it doesn't look at the subtype. (laughs) It looks at the super type of world. Uh, If you have two out at the same time, the oldest one is buried, buried, buried. Okay. All right. Buried. Buried. Let's talk about Barry. B-U-R-Y. I think I'm saying it like Barry, like the name. Hang on. Did you do if two of these guys come out at the same time? Like, okay, fine. (laughs) If you want to go that deep. Well, if okay, because, hey, man, EDH, there's some popular uh, world enchantments in uh, in EDH. You got Concordant Crossroad. You got Forsaken Wastes. You got, uh, if you're a real jerk, I almost said a bad word, if you're a real jerk in the eye of chaos. uh, Yeah, and I should mention, just to be clear, these are not like uh, legendary permanents where you can have one and I can have one. Like, there could only be one world enchantment out in the entire game at any one time. So, so yeah, so if you, if you drop a world enchantment, um, at the oldest one, if there's ever more than, uh, one out on the board, uh, the, basically the one with the newest timestamp wins and all the others go away. Okay. But what happens if, but what if two come in at the same time or three or something like warp world and everyone's playing their EDH? Um, so if that's the case, in case of a tie, uh, they all go. Uh, and this is they, a, all, they all go to the graveyard. They all go to the graveyard, and they're this is a this is a state. Yes, they're all buried, and this is a state based action or or uh, a state based uh, yeah state based action hmm. state based event. <laughs> I did not know that. Look it's at me. Called the world rule. Oh, the world rule. Yeah. Look at me learn about world enchantments. Look so, at you. I wanted to touch on the old term bury also. Bury. Bury. Whatever. Bury's fine. <laughs> um, I think a Which lot of people... because we don't burrow, we burrow, but, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, I, it's kind of weird because... So, Barry was on cards back in the past, back when I was a young player. Uh, so, like, Dark Vanishing would say Barry target creature. Did you... Did you, Were you eating your crunch berries at the time? No, I was not eating my crunch berries. Crunch berries. I don't like crunch berries. Crunch uh, berries are amazing. <laughs> I used to eat Christmas crunch every year. It was like a big thing. Really? Yes. I, I don't I don't like the fruity cereals. Wait, so okay. So the point I want to make with Barry is it does not mean destroy target creature can't be regenerated. Even though a lot of things were eroded to say that. Like that's what Dark Vanishing says now. Uh what it meant at the time was to put it in the graveyard and that's it. So it's similar to what the legend rule does today. If I have two legendary permanents out, I just put one into the graveyard. Two legendary permanents with the same name. Uh, I just put one into the graveyard. 
we would call that berry. I don't know why they dropped the term. I mean, uh, they they used it. They also used it sometimes for like sacrifice. Well, that's what I'm saying. Uh, so yeah, posterata. See, but uh, what my and, point and only discard. is discard. Sometimes bury <laughs> a card from your hand. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. The point is, it didn't just mean destroy. Like I, a lot of people seem to think that. Um, what's a big example is uh, of something where it got arrived to sacrifice is Island Home. You guys see how I laid out these show notes now? Oh, look at you. Look at this. Ryan, what's... So what you're saying is that you have to plan your segues? I did plan the first three, <laughs> and then it gets a little a little tribal after that. But first, let's talk about Island Home. Okay. Um, so uh, this is the Sea Serpent ability, right? Yes. Okay, so Sea Serpent was one of my first one of my first cards, so it has a dear uh, a dear special place in my heart. Uh, however, not special enough that I included this on the list. So this is all CJ's doing. <laughs> this is me. Okay, but Island Home was a keyword that basically was supposed to flavorly uh, uh, ca- or capture the flavor of these sea creatures that don't work so good on land. Like if you have a big, you know, colossal whale or something like that, or a sea serpent, well, they're really awesome in the water, but if you're chilling on the top of a mountain, it ain't gonna get to you so easy. So what Island Home meant was... And this is completely obsolete, but was that the creature can't attack unless the defending player controls an island. And if you control no islands, you have to sacrifice that dude because it's a water creature. And if you have no islands, you have no water. So it's just there flopping in a big, giant, dried out lake. And then it dies. And it's sad. <laughs> sounds sad. It does sound very sad. Got bury it. <laughs> Yeah, you bury it, but now that means sacrifice. Yes, and Island Home means nothing. Yeah, that's what I like about Island Home. That's why I wanted to talk about it. I just like that it was completely erased, and now everything just has... There were only like three cards with Island Home on them anyway. Uh, There's like Kukumesa Serpent, Sea Serpent, and like maybe another. But I like that they just completely eroded it out of existence. It's kind of interesting that they don't do that to Shroud, I think, but it's another. Why? Well, I mean, why not? If you're not going to do Shroud anymore, why not just erode it away? Because then the cards, then if someone doesn't like the, you've got that whole thing where someone picks up a card that says shroud and then they go and like try and figure out what shroud does and it becomes hard. You know, they, they try and keep the words on the card to match what it actually does. That's why I like crap like winter orb now doesn't functionally work the same. Yeah, because they just they were just like, ah, well, there was some rules baggage that used to be with the type, but we just dropped it. And so now, so Winter Orb, here's a, uh, uh, was it, it says, uh, ah, crap, I gotta go look this up real quick. <laughs> hey, you brought it up. I know, my fault. Winter Orb, okay, Winter Orb says, um, it's an artifact that says players can't untap uh, more than one land during their untap. Ooh, we could talk about mono artifacts. No. No, okay. <laughs> players can't, it says, players can't untap more than one land during their untap steps. Okay, and that card right there, uh, what it used to say is, uh, you know, players can only untap uh, one land during during their untap phase. Creatures and artifacts are untapped as normal. So the, the wording of it is kind of, you know, I mean, what it says uh, on the card and what it says in the Oracle text are actually really, really similar. Um, well, what used to happen is artifacts used to have baggage, used to have baggage. 
um, where if they were tapped, they turned off. So basically, winner orb, when you if it got tapped somehow with, oh, say, an icy manipulator, its rules text essentially was blanked out, which means um, if you tapped it at the end of your opponent's turn, it was turned off during your untap and you got everything back. Uh, and that rule went away long, long, long time ago about artifacts being tapped turning off. So since it's been so long since it's printed, they're like, ah, the odds of somebody picking up a winner orb and reading the card text and reading the, you know, they're not going to know about this this rule uh, about artifacts used to tap to turn off so we're just going to change the oracle text it's a functional change we're going to change the oracle text to kind of reflect what the card actually says on it and yeah it's a functional change but we're fine with that for one. okay enough of an aside there that's <laughs> quite the aside quite the aside so by the way everyone yes we're going to get to phasing and yes we're going to get to banding but you have to listen to the whole thing that's how this works it's called retention podcast pros yeah we're starting out with well we started out with something that was relevant world enchantment then we went to bury which is not relevant <laughs> not island home, which is not relevant at all yeah that's actually uh, bottom island home is bottom then we go up a little bit yeah and now what are we going to talk about next i wanted to talk about tribal 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 which is of course the newest ability on this whole list uh but the reason i want to talk about it was uh wizards of the coast has said that they will most likely never use tribal again so rise of the odrazi i think it had two tribal cards really why this no yeah so they i think they feel like it adds more confusion than it's worth and so when you say tribal you don't mean that they're getting rid of creature type creatures that go well together you know we're gonna have oh we're still gonna have like you know merfolk lords and elf lords and whatever else but we're not gonna have cards with the type tribal that's what i mean yes yeah and that's a that's a very important distinction so we'll still have or we're never going to have a tribal instant goblin uh things like that anymore most likely i was afraid that my tribal unity cards are going to be banned (laughs) Um, tribal force mage out but the big thing with tribal so what tribal does is it allows you to put creature types on a on a non-creature so basically, a card with tribal shares the same creature types as that those as a uh, creatures. The glitch, well, it could, you could tribal goblin, you know, tribal enchantment go- goblin is right. a goblin. So the big thing with tribal is it's a type, and people ask constantly, why is it not a super type? Because it sounds like a super type to them. So like super types like legendary or snow or world, basic, basic. That's all I can think of right now. I think that's all there is. Good. Wait, legendary. Didn't you do that already? I don't know. I did world. Same o- close. Ongoing. Shh. <laughs> anyway. Uh, and and the reason it is is because like the whole the whole hierarchy of things is super type, type, subtypes, right? So in order for tribal to have creature subtypes, it must be a type. Could they go into the rules and be like, well, this specific super type can have creature subtypes? I guess maybe, but it, it just fits in in the hierarchy better to have it be a type. So that's why tribal's a type. It will never matter. It will never come up. I just it comes up in legacy. It being a type? Yeah, because of Tarmogoyf. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got you. That's the problem. That's why people ask. It's because Tarmogoyf cares about tribal. Yeah. But it said, doesn't it list on Tarmogoyf that tribal is a type? That's the point of Tarmogoyf. Oh, no. The point of Tarmogoyf was Planeswalker also. Rampage. Now, I don't know why we're talking about Rampage and not like flanking or anything else. But for some reason, people always focus on Rampage when they think about these. Didn't we see flanking in... It was in Time Spiral. Uh, time Spiral, but, but we, we didn't saw. see Rampage. Yeah, we did. Uh, Crawl Giant was in Time Spiral. Oh, was time it? Shifted. Yep. Oh. 
Yep. Good old Craw Giant. He was a bomb. Craw Giant was a beast back in the day. You thought Crawl Worm yeah. was big, and then Craw Giant came out. It was oh wow. So Craw Giant, let's let's just let's just talk about Craw Giant for yeah, a second. Here, I looked him up. Do you do you need me to read him? No, go for it. Okay, he's three green, 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 green because we did not shy away from four. Get your devotion greens. going. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's a 6-4 with Trample, and then he has Rampage 2. Nice. And awesome flavor text. Harthag gave a jolly laugh as he surveyed the army before him. Ho, 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 midgets. You think you can stand in my way? Oh, Harthag. Uh, isn't midgets a slur now? Yeah, well, they reprinted it and... Oh, look at that. Huh. How insensitive of you, wizards. Yeah, craw giant. Wow. I, I didn't even think about it, so you went there. <laughs> is crawl a place or is it a word that means something? Uh, it's um, it's where you stick your tobacco, right? Yeah. In your crawl. So, like, what's crawl worm? Is that a place that it's from? Is, all right, this is important. So, so anyway, what Tell does about, Rampage do? Yeah, what does it do? Rampage 2, what does that mean? Uh, Whenever, what is it, whenever a creature becomes uh, blocked, by more than one creature with the same artist, then oh, that's that's, <laughs> that's art. That's art rampage. Oh, oh that's art. Uh, art. Uh, and this is not our unglued episode. Oh, just saying. <laughs> My if you want to hear an unglued episode, please send. Co- no, don't. Oh, don't. show notes for it's this. Happen now. Show notes for this episode should have just been a copy and paste of old fogey. I didn't even <laughs> think about it. Like that's that's the guy that represents everything that's we want to talk about. <laughs> All right. So whenever this creature, whenever this creature becomes blocked. It gets plus in, plus in until end of turn for each creature blocking it beyond the first. So with with Rampage of two, so this 6-4 with Rampage of two, you attack. If they block with two creatures, then it's going to be it's going to get plus two, plus two. It's going to become an 8-6. So the way to deal with Rampage creatures is you, you, you never double blocked them. Right. And it was just kind of like, eh, okay. I mean, you could build a deck around it with lure, but, <laughs> you know... What doesn't lure make better? I know lure is great. Uh, that basilisk. Oh yeah, that's the best. So this a, is really this is just a reminiscing episode. Yeah, really, this, is this, this episode is. is not for educational purposes. Well, is it? Not yet. Oh. oh, not yet. So here's the thing about rampage: is with the, with the trigger on the stack, you could kill one of the blockers, and then it wouldn't get as big of a bonus. But I can't figure out why you would do that because it looks at it looks at the number it looks at the number of creatures that's blocking it when it resolves and right. since that creature is no longer there blocking it that's why it doesn't get the bonus right I know yeah I know why oh 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 you okay sorry I why would you do it why would you I don't know because now you have one less blocker so like what was the point in the first place you should have just not block <laughs> just a <to> tease <laughs> right you're gonna get the bonus oh no you're not sucker so so you went over that if you have three creatures blocking a crawl worm will get plus four plus four so it's for each creature be on the first blocking yes weird yes all right so now that you guys have talked about a a mechanic that i really have never used ever (laughs) i don't know why not in the slightest well it's it's it was a horrible having played with this mechanic and having loved craw giant like like if i had been a a a teenage girl at the time i would have had craw giant posters on my wall i might have really actually still had them (laughs) but not really um this rampage was just one of those things that it made everyone really, really excited. Oh man, look how big you can make this thing! And right. you put them in your deck, and you'd swing, and the other guy'd be like, "Well, I'm not double blocking that," and you'd be like, "Come on, come on, it's fun." And no, so it just it it really just ended up being bleh. yeah, it was actually never that good. 
No, it really wasn't. <laughs> and um, yeah, and it's never coming back because of that weird beyond the first thing. It's just weird. No, no one expects that to be there. So it gets confusing. We might see another mechanic in the future like Rampage, you know, Bushido, similar mechanics, but we'll never see Rampage again. You mean, you mean the Chub Toad mechanic? Yeah, the Chub Toad mechanic. Which, yeah, they're, they're, if they do it, they're going to call it something other than Bushido. Right. Also true. Hey, but speaking right. of Kamigawa. Uh-oh. Jess, did you want to talk about this next one? Uh, sure. I, this is, these are flip cards, which are a big headache all around. <laughs> yes, uh, this this was such a terrible idea. Um, but uh, yeah, so flip cards are a card from Kamigawa that uh, basically, when a certain condi- they, they were printed in such a way as that the on one part on one half of the card there was text that you could read, and on the other half, like on the bottom half, there was text that was upside down. And oftentimes the image was built in such a way as that it had, like, you could see it in different ways, depending on whether or not it was upside down. And it had a condition. And when that condition was met, it would flip upside down, which is incredibly confusing to your opponent. <laughs> because when it's tapped, it's really hard to see which side is flipped up. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, what's interesting about this is that this is a status. Uh, like, it's not, it's like being tapped or untapped, right? So if you blink it out, blink it back in, or, or, uh, Something like that. It, it's not. It's not flipped. If you copy a flipped creature, you get the unflipped version. Uh, it's just basically as unintuitive as it can possibly be. <laughs> well, as as soon as you as soon as you grasp the 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 fact that it's a status like tapped or untapped, then it becomes a lot easier to get your head around. So so what are the other statuses? Okay, uh, tapped, untapped, face up, face down. So your little morphy stuff or illusionary mask or exedron. Um, flipped, unflipped, which we're talking about, and then a fourth one that we'll we'll worry about later. All right, sure. Well, spoilers. <laughs> so this this got a lot of of uh, so so this card these cards had basically two names, two sets of power and toughness, two rules texts, uh, sometimes two types. You know, because you had those dudes that were creatures and then came back as enchantments uh, in uh, Saviors of Kamigawa. Um, These dudes so are weird. Those were. Um, so, uh, uh, but everywhere except the battlefield, uh, you use the unflipped characteristics of the card. So in a lot of ways, they were they were like double face cards. OK, you always have the it's it's basically with double face cards. It was always, always, always sunny side up uh, anywhere except the battlefield. Um, except, you know, when they were, when they had Did their... Did you say their, sunny side up? Yeah. yeah. Like I've that. never heard that. With the sun. But now, but now you want to... I get it, I get it. <laughs> I've never heard it before. That's funny. And suddenly I want to eat eggs. <laughs> <laughs> must, must be uh, an East Coast thing. Represent. I guess. I don't think I've ever said it. <laughs> um, All right, represent. I'll be with repre- you too. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> Could just be a Florida thing. You never know. He's from Georgia, man. Yeah, but I... Yeah, but he said he's around. never said it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, one of the other things about flip cards is, especially if you play EDH and stuff like that, it's actually possible for <laughs> your cards to flip that that aren't flip cards. Okay. Normally, this happens when something like uh, uh, it becomes a copy of a creature, like until the end of turn, it becomes a copy of a flip creature until end of turn. Like, let's say you have a bear cub and it becomes a copy of a flip creature Mm -hmm. and then you're able to meet the flip criteria. And so you flip your bear cub. That's a copy of uh, Stab Whisker, the Odious or whatever. Um, (laughs) Kamigawa names are the worst. (laughs) That's that's the best, man. (laughs) 
Hey, CJ, your next cat, Stab Whisker the Odious. All right, we'll talk about it. <laughs> we'll talk. Yes, that is the best name. Um, when the copy effect wears off, you will have your bear cub that is that is flipped. Yes, because it's and status, it, just like Because cats. it's status. But because it's not a flip card, the fact that it's flipped doesn't really do anything. So you just have this upside down bear cub. <laughs> and there is no way per the rules other than like blinking it. But there's no on the battlefield way to flip it back. Yeah, and it's funny to me that, you know, not only does no card exist to do it, but the rules explicitly state there is no way to flip it back. Like, that's weird to me. Well, probably just to prevent people from asking. But if you copy something else that's a flip card, you get the flip side of it then. Right. Which is which is where that's useful. Wait, say that again? If you if you copy something that's a flip card, well, you're flipped, so you get the flip side. Right. Like so, if I copy that really confused penguin from Unglued. Yes. Oh, yes. The it's the only way fun. to get it upside down. That's funny. <laughs> um, yes, I'm confused and confounded. Um, so yes, now that w- that's also one of the things where if there is a flipped creature, okay, and you play a clone of that flipped creature, you are going to get the unflipped version of that creature because your clone is not flipped. Right. The same way you, you wouldn't copy if a creature was tapped. Right. That gets a little weird with face down, but we're not going to cover more from this episode. <laughs> that could um, that could be almost a whole episode. Itself. Yeah, that's that's why we're not touching morph. I do love morph though. I recently built a, a morph EDH deck. It's fun. Uh, a couple of other topics. <laughs> EDH crowd goes silent on EDH. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you said we weren't talking about it, and then you started talking about it. Oh no, a couple other points about flip cards I want to mention. So. I wanted to talk about them. So the reason they're never coming back is because of double face cards. Like once they hit on double face cards, double face cards do it better in basically every way except the drafting experience. Also, that could easily be on this list. Like double face cards, it, they, they don't fall into so much the confusing camp, but I've never heard magic is dying so much oh, as yes. I did with, with double face or with uh, flip cards. Yeah, but oh. we're, we're almost guaranteed to see double face cards come back. We're- Magic is dying. Were you there for the border change back oh. back around eighth edition? No. Holy crap! Yeah, I stopped playing right before that, and I came back later. It was it was. I remember. I actually, what I, I remember seeing it and going, "Wow, this is awesome." Yeah, but uh, except for the weird, uh, the artifacts and white cards looked alike for that first set. Yeah, they did. But beyond that, everything was fine. Oh yeah, the eighth edition new border is awful. Yeah. But like well, the mirrored new border is fine. Well, it, it's it wasn't from mirrored, and it was like fifth on right was when they was when they fixed the artifact color. I'm not was sure. It? Like, yeah, Mirrodin, Mirrodin, it was kind of hard to tell the difference at a glance between white cards and artifact cards. But yeah, I agree. The eighth edition, just the washed out board, like the white, white borders, just awful. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 your lump of coal right there. White borders. Come on now. <laughs> this really is a reminiscing show. Play with real cards. You know, there is one one time I was glad to play with a white bordered card. And that was uh, I was playing Battle of Wits on Magic Online, which had a lot of tutor effects to get your Battle of Wits. So I played with the white bordered ba- uh, Battle of Wits so that I could find it in the giant window of cards. That's funny. <laughs> that is. That's a good reason. That is a very good reason. Look at that. You broke it. All right. Yep. White, white bordered fine. Cards. And I think we're kind of clear on this, but flip cards are not double face cards. Double face. Most people call double face cards flip cards and they call when you transform a double face card flipping it. But that is not true. You are transforming the double face card. You flip a flip card. Right. Um, All the more reason why they're never going to do it again is just because 
the terminology. Yeah, because most people call call it flipping a double yeah. face card. And with double face cards, you can actually have a full card's worth of text and a full card's worth of art twice. Right. As opposed to as opposed to doing these little tiny boxes with just a few little words in them, and then the then they share the art because I mean basically the layout was you had you had text box uh, art in the middle of the card, and then another little text box, and like you know like like uh like just said some of the text was upside down. <laughs> yeah, it was impo- like it's impossible to put anything really useful on a flip card because there's no space. And if you're one of those people that when you play your creature the first turn, you like play it upside down so the opponent can read the card or to signify that it doesn't have haste or it can't attack or something like that, which is a nice sporting thing to do. But you can't do that with flip cards because <laughs> you just changed it into a completely different creature. Everything about flip cards is awful. But like, all right, let me count the last two points Except about flip cards. Except Stab Whisker the Odious. Except Stab Whisker the Odious, who is a fine gentleman. His name so flip cards when they're flipped, because this actually got me because I didn't play when flip cards are out, but I played when double face cards are out. When it's flipped, it's mana cost is still the same. Like its mana cost doesn't change. This is different than double face cards when they're on their night side. They have no mana cost. I just want to bring up that difference there. Um, the That's rules, a significant difference. It's it very is. relevant. Yeah, it, it, it got me once. I, I just assumed since it was flipped, it didn't have a mana cost anymore, but that is not true. It does, in fact, have a mana cost. And the other thing is, uh, since this seems to be an episode about exploring CJ's thoughts about why things happened, uh, people ask a lot, why isn't double face card? Why isn't that a status? A status? My best guess is because nothing needed to refer to it, right? So I, I would have guessed the status would be transformed and untransformed. But since it was completely unnecessary, since there was no card in the world that said destroy all transformed creatures or destroy all nightside creatures, there's no reason to have it be a status. So it's not. That's my guess. I, I don't obviously know that for sure. I, I just figured that it probably being a status carries rules baggage, and they were just kind of like, yeah, meh. Not really, yeah, but it's not much different than being transformed. Well, okay, you just flip it over. There, it's flipped. Transform. No, I mean, there's no, there's no really no need to track it or anything like that. Like, you know, have a status like night side, day side, something like that. Yeah. Uh, it might have also been, well, you already had like a face up, face down, and since it was like the same physical action, they didn't want two statuses that were so similar. I guess. I don't I don't know. That's a question for Matt Tabak next time we have him on the show. DuckTales. DuckTales. <laughs> and he and he will probably uh, fuss at us for that for that question. <laughs> we'll just spring that on. Either that or he'll be like, ah, that was before my time. I don't know. I don't really care. Well you can fuss at me all I want. I'll be unfazed. Look at you. Eh? Eh. I like it. I'm glad there's no camera on me right now. I'm making the stupidest face. <laughs> yes, I can imagine. Huh. So, so so a status, huh? Phase in, phased out is one of the statuses. I love phasing because um, I started playing in Mirage. So this was all the rage when I started playing. I think phasing is not too complicated. And I think the biggest issue with phasing these days is that it changed so many times along its way that older players are just kind of confused about how it works now. But we're going to educate everyone on phasing. And phasing actually comes up in Legacy. So this is yep. this one isn't too worthless, but they, they will never print phasing again. Uh, something about having a card where you only get it half the time is not particularly fun. So the first thing about phasing is uh, is... What's the very first thing you do in your turn, everyone? Is it untap? It's untap. No, it's not untap. What? The true very first thing that ever happens in a turn is all phased out permanents that phased out directly phase in and all phased in permanents that have phasing phase out. 
What does that mean to phase in or phase out? Well, when something is phased out, the game treats it just like it's just not there. Now, note, it didn't leave the battlefield, and it's not going to enter the battlefield when it phases back in, so it doesn't trigger those kinds of triggers. The game just doesn't see it. So if I had a creature phased out and somebody casts Wrath of God or Day of Judgment, my creature will not be killed because the game doesn't see it. It doesn't know it exists. And part of, and part of the confusion is because this thing phasing used to like I think it used to have like its own zone and they go to the phase out zone and you know it it triggered leaves the battlefield triggers and it and it triggered comes into play and then they changed it so that it doesn't trigger comes into play but it, it leaves play and then they changed it and they're like no 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 it just it stays where it is basically the game takes a cup turns the cup upside down and just puts it on the card yeah and that's and that's really that's that's really like there's this whole big section of rules but that's how it works is you just take a cup or a coconut half like you're playing a shell game you know and just put it over the card there you go it phased out and then when it phases back in take the coconut off <laughs> why do you have a coconut well i mean why not if you're gonna have right. a card if you're gonna have a card actually when i take the coconut up it's a queen of hearts do you put the lime in the coconut magic and, and shake it all up i no <laughs> no <laughs> just no no i don't so so brian what happens if something fades out and it has an aura um, to it so this is something that is called indirect phasing the aura the equipment the fortification will <laughs> indirectly phase out with the creature with the uh the whatever is enchanted equipped or fortified um, so it, it'll, it'll basically, like I, like I said, again, it's, you put a cup on the thing. If there's any equipments or anything like that, they go along for the ride. Just plop, coconut, cover the card up, put your hand on top of it. It's not there. Yep. It's just gone. Indirect. That's called indirect phasing. Oh, but what if that what creature, if? but what if, what if that creature happens to be a germ token on, equipped by a batter skull? What if? But what if? All right. So there's a rule that states, because for some reason, Wizards of the Coast is very against tokens ever coming back if they leave the battlefield. Uh, there's a rule that states if a token phases out, it will cease to exist as a state-based action. So this is actually the same rule that makes them cease to exist if they get exiled. So if a token phases out directly and indirectly takes the batter skull with it, well, you notice when I first talked about how things phase back in, I said only things that phase out directly will phase back in. Since the batter skull phased out indirectly, it will never come back the saddest yes. batter school because there's nothing to bring it back because the token ceased to exist so is there any way to ever get it back pool from eternity nope it's nope. phase not exiled phase uh there i don't know is that is that a legit question that you know the answer to i don't think there is there might be a card that says like all phased out permanence phase in i don't know there might be but you could also just restart the game with karn okay there's also karn <laughs> <laughs> okay sure <laughs> Restart the getting a game with Karn is always a solution. Uh, Karn, Karn's see. rules specifically reference that. Oh, do they? Because otherwise, it would ignore phased out. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> let's see here. Uh, abilities. Let's see here. Abilities that trigger when a permanent becomes attached or unattached from an object 
or player don't trigger when that permanent phases in or out. Why does that rule strike a bell with me? Abilities that trigger when a permanent becomes unattached. Oh, that's uh, that's one of those grafted war gear. Grafted gear. Yeah, either one. Okay, so if I phase out your grafted war gear, you don't have to sacrifice your dude. Uh, for people interested, Time and Tide says simultaneously all phased out creatures phase in and all creatures with phasing phase out, but that still won't bring back your uh, batter skull. So so let's let's start. We were talking about a bunch of crappy <laughs> phasing stuff. Uh, good phasing, good cards with phasing. Well, you got uh, Frenetic of Freak is probably <laughs> one of the best, right? So it's a, it's one, a blue and a red for a 2-1 uh, flyer that has the ability zero. <laughs> flip a coin if you win the flip. Frenetic Afrit phases out. If you lose the flip, sacrifice Frenetic Afrit. So basically, he becomes like a 50-50, uh, 50-50 chance if someone tries to kill it. You can flip a, basically flip a coin and, you know, he might phase out or he might die, but he's going to die anyway. So, yeah. Meh. Meh. Well, I and then he goes in his little hidey hole. And since uh, they have, they, they uh, since they started, basically, they started the turn on your side, they uh, can attack. Right. Okay, so if they phase back in, it's not like, oh, it didn't, wasn't on your turn, or it doesn't have haste, it can't attack, because those creatures would be the worst creatures ever. <laughs> I agree. As, uh, unlike now, where they're so good. Oh, yeah. But I want to talk about the question on everyone's mind, which is how does phasing and bestow work together? Can we cover that, guys? Well, since it's on everyone's mind. It's on everyone's mind. I've been thinking mind. about it all day. Seriously. We can go ahead and cover it. So let's say you bestow onto a creature with phasing. I'm sorry. Let's say you bestow onto a creature, okay? Through whatever means you phase out the creature, all right? Oh, so well, obviously you also enchanted with Teferi's Curse. Sure. Enchanted permanent has phasing. Sure. Perfect. All right. So say you phase out the creature. Well, like we were just talking about, the uh, the bestowaway is going to go with them. The bestowaway is going to come back. Nothing weird there. All right. Now let's say, though, you were to give the bestowaway itself phasing. So give the aura phasing. Okay. It will phase out directly. And then there's a rule that states that if it was attached to something, it will phase back in attached to that thing. So once again, it phases back in. It just gets attaches back to the original creature. No problems. But what happens? So that's, hold on. It doesn't become on unatt- It doesn't really become unattached. Right. It just, it phases out as an enchantment. It phases back in as an enchantment attached to the dude. Yeah. All right. But what happens if you were to phase out the enchantment, then kill the creature? Now things are getting weird. Oh, uh, well, clearly that whole indirect phasing thing, since it, it can't come back in uh, uh, no. enchanted to the creature, it stays in, in the never never. No, because this time we phased oh. out the aura directly. So it directly oh. phased out. Uh, what's going to happen is it's going to come back in unattached. That's what any aura or equipment does if it can't be attached back to its original object, generally a creature. It comes back in unattached, and then the bestow away rules, the bestow rules will kick in and say, hey, you're you, a dude. You're a dude. Yeah. So that's what happens there. Yeah. So most enchantments come in, and then they just kind of hang there in midair like Wily Coyote running off a cliff before they fall and get and state-based actions get rid of them. But bestow, bestow away is like, oh, hey, I'm a dude. Ding. 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 <laughs> they make that sound, too. Speaking of ding. Banding. Oh. <laughs> 
That's right. And bands okay. with other. So this is actually this is actually uh, one of my favorite favorite judge stories. And CJ, uh, if I if I slip up, you might need to you might need to put a beep. In. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, so I am at a Star City Legacy Open. I'm a floor judge, and it's round three, I think. And I get a judge call. I walk over to the table, and uh, uh, the opponent is holding a wall of caltrops. Okay, and his opponent shows me a counter spell and gestures to the wall of caltrops and says, "Judge, what the." banding <laughs> you didn't even try not to censor yourself I, I know i didn't i didn't because it's such a funny story All right. um and it, and there was like this half a second of just absolute utter shock <laughs> what i just heard and i was like all right first ease up on the language <laughs> second um and then i kind of sat there and it, it, it kind of hemmed and hawed because banding is is actually kind of hard to explain without giving some examples and so finally, I just like, well, let's let's bring up the Oracle text on Wall of Caltrops. And he read it. He was like, oh, because basically all he wanted to know was, is it is it something that's going to kill my deck or something like that? So really, his his question really was, is this important? Which I, you know, you can't answer that. So it's right. like, here's here's the reminder text for it. And he's like, oh, I don't care, um, which is how most people think about banding. Um, so banding is actually two abilities. Uh, there is banding and bands with other. Um, and then it works differently on uh, offense and defense. So <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and explain it. Um, so let's talk about just banding first. We'll talk about banding on attacks. Um, here's the way it works. If when you attack, you can have any number of creatures with banding together and then at most one more dude without banding. OK, uh, they form a band. Which okay? one's the drummer? Uh, uh, Ringo. <laughs> he's been sitting there waiting. He's been just waiting. He knew you're going to say it at some point and he's so, going to swoop in. So they form. We're getting the band back together, man. <laughs> um, so they form they form a band. And it's sort of like, from a flavor standpoint, it's sort of like an adventuring party. So, and one guy doesn't have to have banding. So this is sort of like when you were playing D&D, you'd have like the, you know, the, the, the three seventh level dudes. And then you'd always have like the one third level guy that's kind of there, kind of just kind of like a tag along. That's this guy. That's that guy. Um, maybe his character died last session. So he had to roll, start a new character. Anyway, so you, you basically, if you have a band of four dudes, uh, three of them, at, at least three of them have to have banding. Now they're all in a band. And when they attack, they kind of uh, enter into an agreement uh, that says, hey, if one of us is blocked, then we're all going to stop and we're going to dogpile on whoever blocked you. OK, so if I have a let's assume that all these creatures have banding, let's say I have a dude with flying, a dude with horsemanship, a guy with shadow, a guy, uh, a phantom warrior who's just straight up unblockable. And then um, uh, was it uh, a bear cub? Okay, and they all attack. So they all have banding somehow. They all have banding because Helm of Chatzuk is out. Oh, okay. Yeah, gotta give give target creature banding with your Helm of Chatzuk. Uh, fun little EDH card, as we'll see. So they attack, um, and I decide to block the bear cub. Now these creatures, they're all still their own individual. They didn't give everybody horsemanship. They didn't give everybody flying. They still are all their own separate dude. 
But when my bear cub gets blocked, the flying dude, the horsemanship dude, the shadow dude, they all basically go like, whoa, our buddy bear cub is getting ganged up on. So we're going to gang up on whoever is blocking him. Okay, so basically that one creature that blocked the bear cub uh, is now blocking all of those creatures, even if it couldn't normally do so. Um, Then when combat damage comes around and here's the cool part, okay, about banding, normally your opponent, the controller of the give me a creature, CJ, give me a big crawl giant. There we go. Crawl worm. Crawl worm. (laughs) So the crawl worm is blocking the bear cub and is blocking the flyer, the horsemanship dude, all of that. Now, normally that that guy that controls the craw giant would get to decide how he's going to assign damage to those to those my attackers. Not so with banding. You, the controller of the band, get to decide how he's going to deal damage to your guys. And you don't have to follow the rule about, well, I got to worry about damage assignment order and kill the first one before I move on to the second one, move on to the third one. It basically means combat damage works like it did before the NTEM rules change. I can assign one to that guy, one, you know, your Craw Giant, which does six. So it's going to deal one damage to my 2-2, another damage to my 2-2. It's going to deal two damage to my 3-3 and two damage to my 3-3. So all my guys live. That sounds insane. It does. But it was still kind of like, eh, because... I attacked with four dudes, and you blocked all of them with one guy. Yeah, sure, I kind of ganged up to kill your big dude, but I might have rather have had those guys get through and deal you damage. So banding on offense wasn't all that great, but banding on defense was phenomenal because... Until they played Pyroclasm. Until, yes. Always with the pyroclasm. <laughs> banding on the defense, so and banding on the attack, okay, everybody but one dude had to have banding. So if I'm attacking with four guys, uh, three of them have to have banding. On defense, only one has to have banding. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Wizards R&D decided, oh, well, what could make this ability more confusing? <laughs> We're going to have it. So basically, that's great. If you've got, if you've got, uh, let's say five two twos, and one of them has banding, and your opponent attacks you with a five five. You can then now declare all of your bear cubs with banding, because obviously Helm of Chatsu. You give one bear cub banding, you put them all in a band, okay? You can now block that 5-5. And again, normally the attacker gets to decide how he's going to deal damage. He's going to say two to that bear cub, two to that bear cub, and then one to that one. Not so. With banding, you, the owner of the band, get to decide how that 5-5 is going to deal damage to your guys. So you can say one, 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 one. Even if that guy's got trample, you can even do like, oh, it's a it's a 20-20 trample. Well, I'm going to block with my 2-2 with banding, and I'm going to make you assign all 20 to my 1-2-2. And this, uh, I think, starts to show how strong banding actually is. Like Banding is phenomenally strong. Maybe this podcast will be the start of like a new banding oh, research. Banding like, reborn. Yeah, and legacy. I think, I think they said straight up that banding was too... They removed it because it was too complicated. It, it, it was complicated, and it slowed limited games down. Because one banding guy on defense makes... It's like, how do you figure out how to attack? Right. Um, so that's banding. Now, there's a flavor of banding called bands with other. Can I pause you for just a second before you get into it? 
I just want to point out to the listeners that they can surely hear me and Jess just screwing around on the internet or something right now because who cares? <laughs> and here's here's the truth. Brian made level three because he explained to uh, his panel how banding works. And he was the only <laughs> one able to do it. And they were like, all right, you're in. Oh, fine. Do you want me to stop, skip over bands? With no, no, now? absolutely not. That's the whole point of this podcast. That's, that's not that's not true about the panel thing. They didn't no, ask me, how, banding, they asked me just, how bands with others works. Brian, like since the day I met him, like him knowing banding has always been his thing. Like he knows it better than anyone else I've ever met. Which, well, that that's, that's not that's a thing to have, I guess. Basically, that just means I've read the rules and used it in a deck once. Yeah, I was gonna say I read the rules, and then yet before this episode, we were sitting here talking about bands with other because I still apparently didn't get it. Okay, so bands bands with other actually changed uh, a while back. I think maybe with the N ten N ten rules change, it used to be absolutely abysmal. Now it's just really bad. <laughs> um so bands with other is um so i'm gonna read you i'm gonna read the rule so we said you know okay as a player declares an attacker he may declare that one or more of the attacking creatures with banding and up to one more can without banding can be in a band okay now with bands with other it looks like you may also declare one or more attacking quality creatures with bands with other qualities. So I'm going to say one more attacking wolf creature uh, with bands with other wolves and any other number of attacking wolves in a band. So when attacking before, I had to have, you know, like three dudes with banding and then one dude without. I could have up to one dude without. Now it looks like for bands with other wolves, only one of my wolves has to have band with other wolves, and he can band with all the wolves he wants, whether they have banding or not. And then it works the same. And the same on, you know, defensive bandings, defensive bands with other, you know. Uh, and banding, bands with other, is probably on cards that are worse than Sorrow's Path. <laughs> Isn't there because a there land are, there's, that makes something lose banding or bands with other? There is there is a cycle of rare lands in Legends, and I should know because I have like a dozen of them. <laughs> Every single one of them could have been like a $100 card, and no, instead, I have all your red Legends gains bands with other Legends. <laughs> so what happens if, if a band is attacking, and then you either des destroy the creature with banding or make it lose all abilities? Uh, It is still in a band. Weird. Yes. So you... You get all the damage assignment benefits and everything. Yep, everything still. Uh, the creatures are still in a band. Uh, uh, it doesn't. They don't break the band up, dude. Just because one guy like disappeared. So it's kind of like Foo Fighters. Uh, yes. <laughs> sure. I don't. I don't know. I don't either. I don't know. How about we'll say we'll say Nine Inch Nails. Okay, it's just like Nine Inch Nails. Well, no, actually, they turn Resner goes and um, it's one of those bands that just like changes. Pussycat dolls. There oh, yes, of course. The Pussycat yeah, dolls. Just like the Pussycat, because I don't they're all interchangeable. I don't know who who's who in there. Yep. Um, so there you there you go. It's it's oh, and multiple instances of banding on the same creature are redundant. <laughs> trying to think, think of that about covers it for banding. I that think does. it does. I'm trying to think of anything else, but I actually think that covers everything. Yeah. The big the big thing is um, they don't share abilities. Yeah, that's that's that is that is the big thing. And and here's the other thing. Soul Bond, as confusing as Soul Bond was, is that was the least the lesser complicated. You know, they tried to like it was it was called the simpler banding. Yeah, that's what they tried. 
And it still had a lot of questions and confusion and stuff like that. So this whole like buddy system is kind of kind of hard to wrap your head around. But really, really powerful on defense. Have fun with EDH, guys. Try it out in your token decks. Uh, uh, you will be blown away. Because <laughs> be... here's the thing, because no one will know how to attack you. If they really won't, they'll just be like, what do you got? And you're like, oh, I got a bunch of tokens and I can ban them. They're gonna, what does that mean? Basically means you're boned. <laughs> oh, I can't attack to that. I'm going to read Old Fogey just to show that we, we got enough here for another episode if we needed to. Uh, phasing, Camille to upkeep one. Echo, fading three. Bands with other dinosaurs, protection from homrids. Snow covered, planeswalk, flanking, and rampage two. So we got plenty fading. We didn't even touch the fading versus vanishing. Didn't even touch it. Do we want to? Do we want to touch on cumulative upkeep? All right, go ahead. Okay. Uh, so cumulative upkeep was really, I believe, only relevant on really one card, which was a uh, Jotun Grunt. Right. So cumulative upkeep is basically it's an upkeep cost that uh, gets worse and worse over time. Uh, so the rules text on that, on cumulative upkeep, is cumulative upkeep means at the beginning of your upkeep, if this permanent is on the battlefield, put an age counter on this permanent. Then you may pay uh, a cost, which is, you know, mana or life or something like that, for each age counter on it. If you don't, sacrifice it. So in the case of Jotun Grunt, uh, it had a cumulative upkeep of put two cards from a single graveyard on the bottom of their owner's library. So first upkeep comes around, you got to put two cards from a library uh, on the bottom. Second time it comes around, you got to do four. Third time around, you got to do six. Um, and if at any point you can't, and again, partial payments, not allowed. Uh, so if it's got three counters on it, you got to do six cards. And if you can't, you have to sack uh, Jotun Grunt. Now, what's interesting and why I picked uh, the grunt is because there's also a rule that says if the cost has choices associated with it, each choice is made separately for each age counter. Okay, so in the case of Jothan Grunt, it says put two cards from a single graveyard on the bottom of its owner's library. The choice is which graveyard. So you can actually, if it's got three counters on it, so you got to do a total of six cards, uh, three pairs of two, I can pick two from your graveyard, two from my graveyard, and two from that other guy's graveyard over there because we're playing EDH, obviously. Obviously. Uh, if we're dealing with cumulative upkeep. So I can split that up. Um, another cool cumulative upkeep card, uh, I think it's it's a wall of something. Um, uh, this is it's just... This is something just fun. Uh, it is wall of wall of wall of shards uh, for one and a white. It's a flying defender wall one eight. OK, with cumulative upkeep, an opponent gains one life. Uh, so if you have one of these nice little things that uh, gives you advantages, if your opponent gains life or if you're playing a poison deck or something like that, and you don't really care if they gain life, well, you get a one eight flyer for cheap. Uh, I also think there's a what is it, a predator Kavu that gets plus one plus one each time your opponent gains for each life your opponent gains or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's fun. So, Brian, what if something like a sulfuric vortex is out or whatever says your opponents can't gain life? So uh, and I think sulfuric vortex is not. the Yeah, one it's wanted to ask it's a replacement about. effect. That was OK. Yeah. So if, it, if the card, if the card basically says your opponents can't gain life, then you can't pay that upkeep. Um, so you, since, since they can't gain life, they can't pay the upkeep or you can't pay the upkeep by having them gain life. So you're going to have to sacrifice it. My combo uh, deck. 
Yeah. Um, however, Sulfuric Vortex says if a player would gain life, they gain no life instead. Yeah. So it's actually replacing the life gain with nothing, which is okay. You can, and in that case, say, oh, no, it's okay, man. Here, you gain that, all that life. And the, the rules of the game will see. Go, yeah, you can do that. Gets replaced with nothing, though. So it's slightly different than can't gain life. It's, oh, you can gain all the life you want. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, okay. Yeah, the only other thing with Camille to upkeep that I thought was cool was uh, since you are putting actual time counters on a card, it things that interact with counters can interact with those. So you could proliferate the counters on your opponent's cumulative upkeep card, or you could uh, use Vampire um, Hex Mage to remove the counters on your card. Or uh, what's, the, what's the giant fan? What's the uh, power conduit, I think, lets you remove counters? Sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, power conduit. Uh, wow, hey, type of power conduit doesn't come up with anything. Um... <laughs> Yeah, but that's the card. Remove yeah, a counter from a permanent you counter. control. Yeah. Use one. Put a charge counter on target artifact or put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. Cute. Yep. Cute indeed. Loyalty so, counters. So there are some other... We were talking mostly about like defunct abilities and stuff like that that don't see a whole lot of play. There are other, we'll, we'll say, bad abilities or... We were actually talking about whether or not this podcast should be uh, just abilities that are problematic rules wise or just bad abilities or that kind of thing. So we kind of in keeping with the lump of coal, we kind of just stuck with bad stuff. Right. Because, again, it's all our listeners deserve. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's dive into news. Yes. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Uh, first off, we have a new level three testing manager. So on our episode with Jeff Morrow on, he kind of announced that he would be stepping down for level four and stepping down as the level three testing manager. We now know who is going to replace him. Who wants to say his name? I'll do it. Do it. Mr. Daniel Kitachuski. 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 From France. Might be Kitachowski? Kitachuski? I, I don't know. Daniel K, man. <laughs> Daniel K. We call him Daniel, Daniel K. K. Uh, he is taking over. He's he's the net rep for the um, the forum. He answers everyone's rules questions when you send them out. He is a man who knows his rules. And he and basically, now... if he if he answers a question, you can uh, you can basically treat it. I mean, you treat it as official. He is. He yeah. is. Oh, he is official for rules questions. So he's just he's just all over. I know he's got his hand in all sorts of cookie jars now. So congrats to him. We also have regional coordinator Dan Stevens has stepped down as regional coordinator because I don't know. It's a lot of work. It's life. Basically, man. Life. It's crazy. Um, Who was replacing him? No one. Instead, Stephen Briggs is absorbing the U.S. Central Region, which is what Dan Stevens had originally, except for the state of Pennsylvania, which will go to Sean Doherty. So if your coordinator was um, Dan Stevens before, it is now Stephen Briggs, unless you live in Pennsylvania, in which case it's Sean Doherty. So, so CJ, this this actually strikes uh, strikes a blow for us. Uh, because the southeast was the largest region until uh, Briggs uh, uh, killed Dan Stevens and and took his power. Oh no! So what, now what will we do? I make more judges. <laughs> it's it's a it's a race now. We gotta we gotta reclaim the throne. <laughs> okay, sure. Speaking of thrones, <laughs> okay, oh wait, sure. <laughs> not at all. We are finally finally on iTunes. What? But what? weren't we on iTunes before? Kind of. So we were previously on iTunes. For everyone listening to us right now, we've been like, I've been listening to you on iTunes for like two years. That's how you would talk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the MTG cast feed. 
but we finally have the direct feed to judgecast.com on iTunes. So if you're interested in switching feeds, well, what are the benefits of that? Well, the JudgeCast iTunes feed has a JudgeCast picture on it. That's cool. A, a picture made by uh, uh, Sean Copeland. Sean Copeland. Yes. Speaking of defunct, <laughs> we also have – he no longer judges is the joke there. Um, we also have higher quality episodes. So if that's something you're interested in, you can and, switch to our feed. And more timely because we get the episodes up uh, roughly two days after we record where DigiCast is sometimes a week to a week and a half to, to three weeks late. Yes. Yep, we usually come out on Thursdays, more or less, every other Thursday. All right, you guys ready to dive into our emails? Mailbag! <laughs> Mailbag! Speaking of defunct things... Yeah, last episode, Jess asked what happened to that, and uh, it just went away. I think we just got tired of it. I think, yeah, I just got tired of doing it. But hey, you guys wanted to do it this time, whatever. Our first email comes from Eric Crump. So this is a long one, and I hope he doesn't mind that I'm going to summarize it. But the the title of the email is Why We Judge. Hold on. You missed an opportunity for another Princess Bride joke. What? Let me explain. No, it's too long. Let me sum up. (laughs) Okay, sure. Anyway. (laughs) Hey, this episode's going long, okay? No more Princess Bride. No more. We haven't even made a Ghostbusters reference this episode yet. It'll come. It'll come. Uh, okay, from Eric Crump. So, yeah, the title is Why We Judge. And uh, to summarize his story, more or less, he, he was talking to uh, his team lead during a lunch break. And uh, they were talking about why they judge. And he brought up how, you know, when you he, he says he's a competitive player. But when you judge, you're basically always going to win what the top eight wins. Right. Quote, unquote, win. You know, you might get paid out in about the same amount of product. And, and that's a strong reason for him to judge uh, his team lead kind of. Didn't like that answer, I guess is the best way to say it. Um, felt that, you know, if you're judging only for compensation, that may not be the right reasons and so on and so forth. And so Eric would like to know our thoughts on this time, kind of discussion. Uh, if there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe anything you say. <laughs> nice. <laughs> there you go, Ghostbusters. Got it. What did they pay him like 15000 a year? It was like some ludicrously low number. <laughs> All right. So who wants to take this? Jess? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm first off, let me say I completely understand where you're coming from, right? One one of the things he mentions is that um, judges tend to have a lot of, you know, kind of motivation stuff going on in events, you know, the high fiving and, and, you know, yeah, let's get out there and judge and and this is for the community and players and whatever else. Uh, And and I can understand where you're coming from with, with that being like, you know, that's not for me uh, is, is basically what he said in his email Uh, is like, I enjoy judging, but I don't, you know, I feel like that's kind of just, you know, superfluous really. And like, I think compensation is extremely important and sometimes overlooked by judges. I, I think we've mentioned that before, like on our episode about, you know, uh, L1 running the first competitive event, we talked about, hey, make sure you know what the comp is before you go, right? Make sure you're getting compensated. Right. Um, and so that's, it's, it's very important to make sure that you are getting compensated and, and to, you know, that's one of the reasons we do it because it is work. Um, now, if you're, if you're looking to just be a level one judge to just help out at some events and what have you, then just doing it for the compensation is probably fine as long as you continue to improve for that. But if, if you're not motivated by other things, then you're probably not going to end up wanting to go farther in the judge program. Um, 
But I can completely understand, you know, say, when somebody says, hey, what's your motivation? Well, they, 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 you know, it's good EV for me to judge. Um, I get that. I know a lot of judges, that, good judges that have exactly the same attitude. Um, but you have to be careful that you're not demeaning the reasons that other people have for judging. Yeah. So for me, I've mentioned on this podcast, I don't play a lot of magic. So I, I mean, I enjoy playing um, and I play with my friends quite often. But, you know, I don't go out there and do competitive events. I'm not trying to build the newest standard deck. So uh, being paid in magic cards actually doesn't mean very much to me. I don't generally need them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't, you know, I probably wouldn't stick in it if it weren't for the community. Like I, I like most judges that I meet. <laughs> I was deciding whether or not I should actually say most. I like most judges that I meet. Um, you know, like any group, there's some people that maybe I don't get along with the best, but for the most part, um, you're talking about me, right? Mm, yeah, okay. They all live south of me. Let's put yeah, it that way. All right. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. If there, if if it weren't for the people, I, I don't think I would be a judge as long as I have so far. So so with with regard to motivation, um, if you're a if you're a good judge and you do what you're supposed to do, whether you're you're in it for the money, you're in it for the power, you're in it for the ladies, whatever. Okay, you're you're there. You're doing your job. Um, now that said, okay, if you are there for other reasons, okay, for the for the people, the community, you are going to be more upbeat. Okay, you are going to do the whole high five thing. And those are actually pretty powerful motivators. You know, if you're smiling, if you're having a good time, even if you're having to make yourself smile and make yourself have a good time, others are going to pick up on that vibe and it's going to be easier for them to smile and them to have a good time. And that's that's actually really important. It's important all throughout the day, but especially towards the end when energy levels start to get low. OK, that type of stuff is is really important. Um so uh don't I'm going to say don't be dismissive of the pick me up. I mean it's it is an, a getting a high five, you know, releases the 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 endorphins or the dopamines or whatever, you know, I don't, um, the, the stuff that makes you feel good. You're a dopamine. Uh, yes, I am a dopamine. It gives you, it gives you like a little shot in the arm. It gives you a little boost of of energy to help you get through because these days are very, very long. Um, also, uh, again, if your motivation is just the compensation and just and just touched on uh, and just touched on this, you are going to reach a plateau because and, and not necessarily in in skill, but per, uh, progressing, um, you know, when as you start to move up in the program, we start to, you know, we start to look for what you do outside of events. And those are things that you do not get compensated for, uh, you know, working on projects, leading projects, that kind of thing. Um, and so if, if your motivation is for the compensation, then you're probably not going to do those things, um, uh, which is going to, 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 to hinder advancements. Like if you say have eyes on, on level three or something like that. Um, and then at the end of the email, he made the comment, uh, about how he had a, he had an event and it was great to provide a smooth running event for my friends and help our local game store grow. It felt good after it was over then that I ran a success. I successfully ran my first solo event and was able to educate. So we got him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. we got him. We got him. I mean, he's just like, ah, oh, I do it for the money, but I had this great time just educating people and stuff like that. And it's, we got you. So one thing I'd like to point out, you know, not everybody's motivation is the same. He mentions he's a competitive player, and I, I I understand that. I don't play games just, you know, for the fun most of the time. Like, 
I, I, I have fun winning, right? Like, that's fun for me in a game. Um, but one of the reasons I became a judge is because the people in my area, I felt, weren't doing it very well. And I, I felt like I could do it better. Okay, well, that attitude has changed in some regard. But, um, you know, that slowly morphed from I can do it better to I can teach people how to do it better. Uh, I can take these people who, who maybe aren't doing it as well, and I can teach them how to do it right, how to do it better. And, uh, you know, what's important for that is the high fives and the motivation and keeping everybody going uh, when it's long a long day and it's tiring. And that doesn't motivate everybody, but it motivates most people. And it's important to realize that, you know, as you start to progress in the judge program, it becomes bigger than just you if you want to be, uh, you know, further along in the judge program. Yeah, I'm not too good at the motivating other people. I'm pretty tired at the end of the event. I know I know it's like a weakness of mine. I understand it, but I, I get so tired. I don't understand how the other people are so go-getters. Uh, you just gotta, you just gotta, you gotta find your, find your whatever that makes you laugh and makes you smile and, and do that. Or then just go take a five minute sit down. Yeah. All right. We ready for the next email? You know it. He said, the title of this one is, there's a Wizard of Oz joke in here somewhere. And it's from Brian Randage, I guess. Um, I, for one, welcome our new JudgeCast overlords, which I don't even know what he's referencing there. Did we take over something? I don't, I don't know. Is that well, a Wizard of Oz joke? No. Well, anyway, I think it's a Futurama joke. Oh, no, he's dealing with scarecrows. Maybe that's it. I don't get it. Well, he asks, if I have a... Oh, yeah, at the end. Get it? Scarecrow, lobotomist, no brain. Huh. But that doesn't under that doesn't make the Judge Cast Overlords comment make sense. No, the Judge Cast Over. Yeah, the Wizard of Oz joke makes sense, which I was going to get to. Oh, hey, just, you just ruined the whole email. Yeah, I, you know what? Scarecrows aren't the only one with no brain. Delete. Not da, da, reading da. it. All right. Reaper King, Reaper King, Reaper King. Whenever another Scarecrow comes into play under your control, destroy target permanent. All right. He says, if I have a Reaper King in play and a Xenograft in play naming Scarecrow, Will creatures I play become scarecrows in time to blow something up with Reaper King's triggered ability? So Xenograph says that uh, creatures you control are the chosen creature type or something like that. Close enough. Who wants to take this? Uh, Go ahead, Brian. Yeah. Okay. So that creature, it hits the battlefield. It's a scarecrow. There was no point in time that it was ever on the battlefield where it wasn't a scarecrow. So Reaper King will indeed see a scarecrow. Enter the battlefield and it will let you blow something up. Boom. Yes. Boom. Now, this next question. I love this question. One of my friends said that an EDH, if a general commander is placed on top of its owner's library, library, then is removed with an opponent's Circu Demir Lobotomist, who I will read in a moment, and the general's owner chooses to place it in the command zone instead of it being exiled, the general can no longer be cast. Is this true? And if so, how does it work? So Circu has an ability that basically whenever you play a blue spell or whenever you play a black spell, you remove the top card of target library from the game. And then your opponents can't play non-land cards with the same name as a card removed from the game with Circu Demir Lobotomist. Do you guys want me to cover this one? I actually had to look up look up the rules for it. Let go for it. All right. Um, because I thought it was interesting because Circu is exiling the commander, but the commander is going to the command zone, so it is no longer a card um, exiled with Circu. 
And basically, no, it doesn't. Is this true is no. But yes, you can still cast your commander. Um, that's because Circu has a linked ability. His two exile from the top of the library cards are linked with the can't play non-land cards with the same name as a card removed from the game. Uh, exiled, sorry, I keep reading the uh, the printed text, not the Oracle text. And there's a rule that says if an object has an activated or triggered ability printed on it that instructs a player to exile one or more cards and an ability printed on it that refers to either to the exiled cards or cards exiled with this object, these abilities are linked. The second ability refers only to cards in the exile zone that were put there as a result of an instruction to exile them in the first ability. So by moving the commander to the command zone, it is saved from the circuit Demir Lobotomist and the player can cast it again. Good. Wow, so complicated. So complicated. I mean, this is a lot of work even to make it happen. Like you have to grip tide the commander and then and then actually that would do it alone. The grip tide alone. Anyway, no, it wouldn't. You'd have to grip tide then cast another blue spell. Anyway, he has a third question. Cards oh. cards like Overrun will not grant creatures that enter the battlefield after it resolves the plus three plus three and trample. But I think there were some cards that give abilities to creatures and last until the end of turn that will apply to creatures that enter the battlefield after it resolves. How can I tell which cards give abilities to the creatures cast after the spell resolves and which do not? Hey, Brian, oh. remember before the episode when you said indestructible ended up being one of the most confusing keyword yes. rules yes. ever? Yes. So so this is actually, if you go back and, and listen to our episode with, uh, with Mr. Laux, um, I actually asked a series of questions that illustrate this situation uh, uh, exactly. Um, basically, uh, if a card uh, affects multiple creatures and it changes the characteristics, color, power and toughness, abilities, that kind of stuff, or control, the creatures that it affects are essentially locked in at the time the spell resolves. Uh, for other stuff like creatures can't block. Well, that's not uh, a characteristic. That's not a control-changing effect. So that just affects all the creatures, uh, even if the creature comes in after the fact. It's not a locked-in set. So does that work for you? Yeah, that's basically it. You know, if something says, I don't know, all creatures must block this one, then you flash in a creature after that. You know, that's another one. Um, yeah. Most of them that still exist, because see, so the confusion comes because Indestructible used to be one of these, but since Indestructible is made an ability, it's now setting a characteristic. So it it it's just like Overrun in that situation. Um, I think that's where the confusion is coming from, but most of these, I feel like, that still exist have to do with combat, and people don't confuse the ones that have to do with combat. Right. 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 All right. Which one's next? Stuart King. Oh, he just signed it Stuart. So I hope he doesn't mind that I just said his last name. Okay. I'm going to call not it on this question. Uh, okay. I haven't read it. <laughs> All right, Jess, get ready. Oh, hi, guys. Well, I, get, I read them, so I don't have to answer them. That's how that oh, works. Oh, is that, is that the way that works? <laughs> I don't Jess, have to look like a fool. We can revolt. A couple of interesting situations have come up recently, and I wasn't sure exactly how they should be ruled. Firstly, at a competitive level event, somebody untaps, attacks with all their creatures, and then draws for the turn. Oh. What should happen? Uh, this could be one of two situations. Either they, this is either describing a situation where someone basically forgot to draw. They attack and they go, oh, I'm supposed to draw on the draw card. In which case, they should have called the judge. But the ruling would have been that there was a game rules violation and we would have them draw their card. Uh, that is, that's, a partial, that's a partial fix. Yes, that or, is a, one of the allowed partial fixes in the game rules violations se section of the IPG. Um, this could also be describing out-of-order sequencing. Um, so if I have already know you're tapped out and I 
already know that, that the only thing that can happen on my turn is that I draw a card and attack. And I turn everybody sideways, you know, untap, turn everybody sideways to attack and draw my card real quick and say, go. Nothing illegal has really happened here. And, and if the opponent wants to wants to stop you at some point there, they should do that ahead of time. They should be like, wait, wait, hold up. I have something I want to do in your upkeep or whatever. Um, and I think this this falls under the out-of-order sequencing part of the game. Yeah, I think it's all fine. Yeah. Yep, yep. Okay, his next one. Secondly, playing in a casual legacy event, I play ad nauseum. I continue to reveal cards until I was at one life. I say, I stop and scoop up the cards I drew. My opponent, who isn't a native English speaker, takes this as a concession and reveals the top card of his library, which he knew to be force of will from an earlier brainstorm. He also reveals the top card of my library to see what would have happened if I had continued to draw before I realized what had happened and told him I hadn't conceded. How should this be fixed? Yeah, so... Communication issues like this, they don't have really real prescribed ways to fix it. Um, how how serious do you guys want to be by the fact that he intentionally looked at his opponent's top card? So I, I'm I'm amazed that this actually happened. It may not have. Who knows? You know, um, but yeah, it, it sounds it sounds like it was a, a communication. So you can read cards until you use that one life. What's as nauseum? You lose life, reveal cards. You may repeat this process as many times. I say stop and scoop up the cards I drew. My opponent, who isn't, takes this as a concession, reveals the top cards of his life. So, if that's all he does when he said takes this as a concession, because it's it's one thing if he like scoops up all of his stuff. He's like, up, oh, the game's over because scooping up your stuff is a is a, the sign of a concession. But in this particular case, he's just like, oh, okay, oh, game's over. Let's see what I would have drawn. Um, in that particular case, I think I would have had to have said it was looking at extra cards. Yeah, well, the issue is he he looked at his opponent's library too. Yeah, but at the same time, looking at extra cards, you can you can you know like drop a card while you're shuffling your opponent's library, that kind of thing. You know. So, so in I, this in this particular case, I'd probably I'd, I'd probably say it was looking at extra cards with the same root cause and then use the prescribed fixed in the IPG. So so here's the thing, like and my opinion on this one has changed while I read that paragraph. But let's just say you and I are playing a game and I say um, let's just say I say I concede and you look at the top card of my library like no. You can't do that. Right. But then what's the if you said you concede and the guy just like reaches over and picks up the top card of your library. What's what is that? Cheating. The game's over. It's obnoxious. It's rude. He doesn't have access to that information, though. Like like people people concede sometimes to hide. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying, because because he's looking he's flipping over to see what card is in your deck. Yeah, he gets to know something about my deck. He didn't originally know. Okay. well, it's hmm. In this particular case, you get down to if it's cheating, then you have to look at the intent of of the person. And I don't think the intent there. Hmm. I know. Right? I, I was I was basically on board with everything you said. But the more I thought about it, I was like, well, wait, you can't just reach over and look at your opponent's library. You can't do that. Yes. But nonetheless, I'm not sure an infraction has occurred if the, in the situation where he's already conceded. Because so, you know, to go back to the situation where we tell him, you know, don't do that again. But and if we feel like he's actually cheating, we can, you know, well, is that a new count? Is that not actually cheating? I mean, that's that's so to go back because so the way I'm approaching this, right, is if, you know, we we take both players at their word that, you know, what he thought he heard was truth. Right. 
Um, so he's not trying to cheat. He thought he heard that his opponent had conceded, uh, mm-hmm. and he was doing what he would normally do if his opponent had conceded. Um, I, I just, I'm not okay with someone just picking up the opponent. And you don't, you don't have to be, but at the same time, you don't have to be okay with, you know, someone uh, attacking with a creature with defender or something like that. Okay. It's it's definitely it's definitely a area since as soon as, as soon as you said that oh yeah he's doing it for his uh, his opponent too it's it's something that we want to ask questions about we want to find out but I don't believe with what is written that there was intent to cheat but it was it was more <laughs> it was it's it seems it seems to me like because this was a casual event okay. That it was probably just like, oh, let's see what you would have had. And at casual events, the rule, you know, I mean, it's 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 even below regular, really. Right. But he, he asked what we would do at competitive. I don't think it would happen at competitive. <laughs> OK. All right. Well, I don't want to spend forever on this email. So th- I think I think the real point is, you know, if someone says something and someone else thinks they heard something, um, we're going to just try to rewind and fix it as best we can. I don't think you'll get a 100 percent consistent answer from everyone on that one. Uh, no. On those situations. But I think we just try our best to fix it. Uh, there, there's no there's nothing in policy about what exactly to do. Next email comes from Adam Wilson. Uh, I'm sorry, I got distracted by his signature. Oh, okay. Which I is, have... no, his signature is, you can either tap or sack it, you can't do both. That's all it says, in quotes. Yeah, and she's right. There's lots of <laughs> things you can tap and sack. He's probably meaning with regard to... Uh, drives this one. I'm going to say, I'm going to say uh, Wild Cantor with Convoke. It's the same thing as Eldrazi Spot with Convoke, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Sure. All right. I have a Mitotic Slime in play and cast a creature with Devour. If I choose to devour my Mitotic no! Slime... No! I knew, <laughs> I knew the answer to this question before. I know. The moment you see Mitotic Slime and Devour, like, I've seen this one before. <laughs> yes. Um, Mitotic Slime says, when Mitotic Slime dies, put two 2-2 two, two green ooze creature tokens onto the battlefield. They have, when this creature dies, put two 1-1 one, one green ooze creature tokens onto the battlefield um yeah devour is just a replacement effect as as it enters the battlefield it you can devour any number of creatures but those creatures all have to exist at that time um if you devour the mitotic slime then that's it and then the trigger will wait to go on the stack until you're finished devouring and the the creature with devour has finished resolving that's about it for my mitotic slime slash devour that was pretty straightforward yeah if you want to send us a question about banding or phasing or how the two interact together, oh. Oh, you can email us at judgecast at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast or follow us on Twitter on twitter.com slash judgecast and visit our website at judgecast.com. Or I- iTunes. Or you could find us on iTunes or the Zoom store or Stitcher, Stitcher. Radio. And I think there's another one out there, too. By the way, if anyone out there has a favorite service that they want to see JudgeCast on, you know, just send us an email. We can probably get on there. It's, it's been pretty easy with everyone except iTunes. So let us know. Anyone have anything else they want to say before we sign off? Nope. I looked up crawl and it says the crop of a bird or insect or the stomach of an in, of an animal. So I don't even I don't get what crawl giant is supposed to be. Crawl must be a place. Maybe it's just it's a crawl worm only since he's bigger. Maybe. Or maybe they just didn't know what crawl meant, like the hyploptulous lemures. <laughs> maybe. Maybe it's just like, oh, well, I mean, it's obviously. Maybe it was supposed crawl. to be a, a crawl giant, like it was crawling. Crawl, then... me, crawl means 6'4", green creature. <laughs> All right, well, my name is CJ Schrader. I keep it fair. I'm Jess Dunks. I keep it fun. I'm Brian Frillman. I keep it banding. 
So this is a poem that was written and appeared on the Knowledge Pool blog, uh, written by Robert Heisler and George Fitzgerald, called Christmas Time is Here. "'Twas the EDH before Christmas, and all on the table, and not a creature type was missing, casting all we were able. Stocking Tiger was placed by the chimney such glory, hoping St. Nicobolus would come read us a story. My opponent was smiling, tapping all of his lands, then Miosian of Night's Reach annihilated our hands. One mana to my name, I let out a shriek. I'm not a threat. Why strip mine me, you freak? <laughs> Calm yourself down. I know you're no threat. But if I keep you down, they will be in my debt. I know it's not fair, but I'm sorry, dear Percy. You'll ooze, and then I'll show you Snow Mercy. I flipped over the table, exhibiting my rage. Then I pulled out my laptop and found the gatherer page. I browsed for an answer. Oh, what a selection! But none of these cards are in my collection. My friends, they all left, feeling bitter and sour. I wondered, is the game store open this hour? I jumped in my car and took off with the flash, running into the store with a fistful of cash. Behind the counter was a jolly shopkeeper. Time to feed my addiction, I felt deeper and deeper. More rapid than eagles, his assistants they came. They showed me their wares while shouting card names. Here's Elspeth, Jay, Chandra, Nissa Ravane, plus Soren and Lily and a Johnny Goldmane. We have sleeves on the counter and mats on the walls. Now please purchase, purchase, purchase them all. I hopped in my car with new cards, mats, and dice. I looked at my loot. I felt quite naughty, nice. But on my way home, I started to wonder, what good are these cards with my group torn asunder? I phoned my friends to come back to my place. When they assembled, I spoke with a serious face. I'm sorry for earlier. I'd been such a jerk by flipping the table and going berserk. This I now know, for as long as I'm living, the best kind of gifts are surely gifts given. I brought you some gifts. They're not sentimental, but I'd never give you a fruitcake elemental. I passed out evil presents and all wrapped up with care. What good are these things without friends to share? My friends' eyes all twinkled. What a glorious sight. Seasons beatings to all and to all a good night. <laughs> 